Welcome back to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This week on the pod, we have a very special friend. I once thought she was simply an internet stranger who I stalked, who I was in awe of. I loved the way that she spoke about the work that she was doing, how she showed up in the world, and what really mattered. And this is none other than Tara Robertson. Tara is a DEI coach. She is most certainly a coach, a stand, a mentor, a beacon of light and hope for women of color and everyone else. And that means you. I will let her introduce herself and be sure to check out the links in these show notes because I will tell you they made me smile while we were recording. And perhaps have your pen out. There are some really interesting prompts and jumping off points that Tara speaks to about pleasure and grace and forgiveness. You might enjoy some own reflection after listening to this episode. And for that, I would say you're welcome. And to Tara, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy this one. Well, let's go. We hit record and said with giddy smiles, let's do this. And let's do this. Um, yes. I'm so grateful to have you on the pod. Thank you for your time and thank you for making this possible. Tara, would you do our listeners the sweetest pleasure of introducing yourself in your words? Who are you today in 2023? My name is Tara Robertson. I am, I just, I feel fully alive today. Um, I'm someone who takes a stand for equitable futures. I want to make them irresistible so that people can't help but want to choose that. I'm a leadership coach, a DEI strategist, and someone who enjoys pleasure. Mm. Okay, well, before we hit record, we definitely riffed on the fact that we both enjoy pleasure and that pleasure can come in so many different shapes and forms. And I want to jump off of that first and then come back to some other very important topics, of course, that make up who you are. And yet, how powerful would it be if we led with pleasure first? Like, yes, that's where we should start. Feels really juicy. And I just want to invite people who are mm. listening now to like, just take a deep breath and be like, what gives me pleasure right now? And mm. I think for me, thinking about myself as a whole person and at work coaching mostly women of color, I'm thinking about my own journey through work as a woman of color. Like, I feel most alive now than I have in my career because I am not having to mask or I'm not choosing to mask different parts of who I am and I'm bringing all of that to the table which is is a real privilege and it means that I'm saying no to working in some situations and some people are saying no to me and I can't go back like I feel just alive free and here to do my best work Hmm. can you give me some examples big or small they can be as personal or not as you wish I'm not trying to dig I I just think that we relate to one another through through stories and personal experiences. And and what does pleasure look like when you wake up in the morning? What is pleasure in the middle of the day? What is pleasure from a work perspective? Can you give us a few examples? Yeah. Um, it's funny because we were talking about this before because I joined a couple minutes late and I was sweaty and I'm, I'm still a little sweaty. I was like, I need to move my body. So I prioritize doing a short workout to get my heart pumping, to get the sweat moving, and just to be alive in my body. Because when I can resource from my whole body, like I can do really hard things. Mm. If I'm just up intellectually in my head, like I lose my instinct. I end the day in my back sore because I Mm. haven't been listening to my body and like honoring what I need as a, like a human being. 
So mm. that's one way. I think also I look at my calendar and I put in breaks so that I can get up and move. I can eat, go to the bathroom, go outside, especially after big coaching, coaching sessions, I think are going to be big or big client meetings. I'll usually block half an hour and I'll just go outside mm. just to connect with myself and to have some thinking time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What about you? Like what, mm-hmm. what are you doing today that is giving you pleasure? Yeah. You know, I have, I've had some medical stuff over the last few years that have in, that hasn't enabled me to be as hydrated as possible. And this will sound really silly. Yet drinking AG1 in the morning, drinking a significant amount of water, let's call it like a liter of water before my day, literally makes me feel like my garden that has just been posed for the first time of the day. You know, like there is a hydrating factor that I feel like I am nourishing the nucleus of every neuron in my body when I drink that liter of water. And that really, really feels like pleasure. And, you know, I would also share on the other side that like you, I love to sweat. And I used to have a lot of great pleasure in opening a fresh pair of socks and like a fresh pair of socks before a sweaty workout felt like luxury. It felt like there was something magic about to happen. And um, I still feel the same way. And I might be out just to take my dog for a walk in those socks, yet a fresh pair of socks feels like pretty sweet pleasure. And, you know, things have shifted. I, I used to find some pleasure in maybe some radical, spontaneous, sugar-filled moments. And those aren't quite the same anymore. I'm like, you know, I don't feel so great after some of those moments. Or it sounds really nice to stay up in a certain way. And I'm like, I really like sleep. Pleasure is early to bed. So I'm in bed by 10 too. (laughs) You know, it's just how the things have shifted. Yeah. I love the water and the socks. Like simple, but it sounds like you're getting a lot of pleasure out of them. Please. Yes. Let's go. More socks. They might need a sock sponsor on the podcast. So that's a different plug. I need to go back to what you said from a vocation perspective. You have chosen a vocation where you are coaching mostly women of color. And yet, undeniably, you caught me in helping shit white people are scared of or white. Tell me what that tagline is. And I want to know why you've chosen women of color. And I'm going to say this as a white woman that I'm like, we all need you. And you've chosen a certain group and tell us, tell us why that's really important. Like I coach everyone, but women of color are the center of my universe. Mm. And I was like, is that, am I niching down too much? Is that not a Mm. good decision? Mm. Oh, I don't know. And I was like, no, that's who I feel called to serve. And absolutely, every single person I've done like a call with who's a woman of color is like, thank you. Like you called out to me and I hear you and I'm here. Like we're often like, you know, everyone comma and you two women of color. Like, so I'm just shifting where the focus is and the people I want to serve hear that. I've, I've gotten some heat from people like I had a I made a free resource. It looks like a bingo card. It's it's to plan out who's on your personal board of directors. Mm-hmm. I think a mistake I made in my career was assuming that my manager was going to develop me, sponsor me, give me feedback, like and the hard feedback, too, because women of color don't often get that because white people are scared to be honest with us. Mm-hmm. People who are going to push me and stretch mm-hmm. me. So in making this bingo card, a lot of people saw it and a, a few, well, a handful of white women reached out to me and just said, like, why, why is this for women of color and everyone? And I was like, it's for you. Are you part of everyone? Yeah. But I, 
it's the right call for me. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah, it's so powerful. You're flipping it. You're flipping a script. And you're flipping it like really the concentric, the most important center of the circle is the, it feels like the bullseye to your heart. And that shows up in everything. And we'll make sure that the bingo chart, the bingo card is included because I love that bingo card. I was like, got it. Here are spaces and places in my life that I could use some different community, different people. This is, these are gaps and it's great. And I, I must say that the first five felt like, okay, I'm with you, Tara. And then I was like, gosh, like you kept going. There's a lot there. There's, you know, 24 boxes worthy of crossing off. So this being not saying people need a a board of 25 people. Like that's not realistic, but it's to get people thinking. And the work like about who's on the margins, that's the work I've done, like doing inclusive design. And like, if we think and design for people who are on the margins, we design for everyone. Um, whether we're thinking that from that from a perspective of people with disabilities and accessibility issues and universal design or making coaching offerings to serve women of color, which can also serve everyone. Yeah, I love it. I just had an image of um, almost a spider web or a honeycomb and like the interconnectedness of it all. And I'm wondering if we can draw on that thread and take us back to the origin story of how this became your calling and work that you were willing to step into and and show up as you do. Can you take us back and tell us why this work for you? I think in some ways, I want to show up as the coach that I didn't have. When I was in-house at a tech company, I hired a coach for the first time because I was just like, I'd moved from post-secondary libraries into tech and it was like, whoa, and the culture and the unwritten rules were totally different. And I was not ha- like, I was killing it at work, but I wasn't having a very fun life. And my coach was amazing. And there were some things where I'm just like, there's something missing here. So I want to serve the women, women of color, and they're actually all very high-performing women who are moving through these imperfect and equitable corporate systems where as a strategist, I've worked with leaders on how to fix the system. And we know the system is not fixed. It's not going to be fixed for a while. So in the now and in the near future, how do we give people who are being harmed by that system more tools to be a choice about how they want to move? Tools and choice. I'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like. Our newsletter, we call it The Corkboard. It has all things juicy, whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching, development, or hot new jobs that we're working on. The link is in our show notes. Your inbox is sacred and your time is too. So now let's get back to the episode. This question might feel like a bit of an off-ramp or a tangent and just feel called to ask, what are the questions that aren't being asked at work today. Does that make sense? Say more. I just think when you think, if you were to think back, say baby Tara, version, version younger in tech with the manager who was maybe scared to give you the feedback, the manager who didn't know how to have the conversation, the manager who was preoccupied with the other things in their lives. And you look and you're like, there was a piece missing for me. And then I went elsewhere Mm -hmm. to to fill my tank, to fill me up. Yet now you're in the work on the other side and you're hearing, you're working with those leaders that you once worked for. And I'm curious of of the questions or the dynamic, what's not being said right now at work? What's the conversation that you're hearing that you're like, this needs to come up and, and be 
a real conversation and no longer just get swept to the side, swept under a rug? Yeah, I have an answer for that. I think for white leaders, who are the majority of executive leaders and senior leaders, a lot of people had their eyes open to systemic racism. And it was really uncomfortable. And I think George Floyd's murder was definitely like a flashpoint for some people to wake up and see things they hadn't seen before. And it was really uncomfortable. Today is, what is it, National Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada? Mm -hmm. And as a settler, it's really uncomfortable for me to look and wonder what my role is in settler colonization and to think about that and to own that and to interrogate my family history and look back and be like, these stories that we told, like, what is the other part that we're not sharing? So like, there's a physical and emotional discomfort there. And what I've seen with white leaders is they want the three actionable steps, the 10 things to do, give me a playbook, what are the tactics? And that's all super valid, but I think not much has changed. So we need to look at who we're being and we need to be with that discomfort, be with those emotions and work through them. You just can't bury them and be like, oh, like we're fine. Like let's get to the doing. It was like, no, like let's sit with that feeling of I'm going to say the wrong thing and hurt someone or I really made a mistake here and I feel like I'm going to shit myself. So I had this offering for white leaders called Dear White Leaders, Stop Shitting Your Pants as a coaching offering to work with leaders who wanted to take a stand for inclusion. And my intent, because no one signed up, (laughs) was to work with leaders on listening to the somatic cues in their body about what what's actually going on that may, might not have come to their brain yet around what their body is feeling and what their body has to say. Cause I think there's a lot there, which would make them much more effective anti-racist allies and much more effective leaders mm-hmm. and actually humans too. Like mm-hmm. I've heard from leaders that at the dinner table, their kids are getting a different education around anti-racism than they ever got. And they feel like, I don't know what's going on here. Like my kids are asking me questions and I don't know how to answer them. And that doesn't like, I feel like maybe I'm not being a good parent or I'm not. Yeah. So Mm. a bit rambly, but like, I think there's something there and we're not talking about the feelings. We're not talking about what's going on in our bodies Mm -hmm. and we're not willing to slow down and be with those emotions and work through that discomfort. Mm. Yeah, I really feel you. The acknowledgement of discomfort and the, I just saw a paintbrush that we think we can like broad stroke, dip a paintbrush in one can of paint and out goes the playbook. And look, I have a DEI strategy. No. And what is lived experience that comes to the table? Who's not at the table? What is the freaking table? You know, so many of those questions. And I, we're going to take this offline. There is something so special about the program you created and there takes guts to launch something into the world. And then you also, with the same passion, truth, and vulnerability said, Hey, no one signed up. What the what? And no, and I I failed. Like, it's not a successful business thing to think up something think through like, it's the first time I've really thought through a marketing plan and market it from my head and my heart and my soul and no one signed up like that is a failure <laughs> well i'm gonna give you and an i'm gonna own that, that. <laughs> you're gonna own it I'm and there's learnings there 
Well, there's learnings. And I think that it says something. We're scared. Like the underlying nugget is we're scared to be called out. And what you created was a space for us to show up and say, I don't know something. And who's up for putting their foot in the ring first? And what we learn is there's 60% referral rates for all, all things right now, be it your hairdresser, be it the workout class, be it the program, the book you want to read. If you hand a book to someone, they're 60% more likely to read it than if they walk into a bookshop or a library and pick it up themselves. And it's kind of like, who's going to go first? And then as soon as one group company leader goes first, then lemmings. And we want to jump off that cliff too. Who knows what will be on the other side. So I'm curious the journey that you went on to create from your heart and soul. And I want to hear about what went into it. And I really give the upgrade that says, sometimes we need to hear things three times before we sign up. And so I'm hoping that you are up for the program to launch again, a different time, different enrollment dates. And I want people to hear right now, why, where the program came from and why they need to sign up. It's interesting. One of my, one, uh, an engineer I worked with who I adore is like his bottom line on kind of inclusion and how to treat people. He's like, if I'm honoring someone's dignity and sense of agency, I might say the wrong thing or whatever, but you know, I'm going in the right direction. So mm-hmm. what I see in corporate DEI spaces, like this month is pride month as well. So people are like, what are the five things I need to do to be inclusive of queer and trans folks in black history month? It's like, what are the five things I need to know and the five language mistakes I need to avoid doing? And then, so we're we're getting all these lists again of doing things, tactics, and it's a little overwhelming. But my f- engineering friend is like, if I'm honoring people's dignity and agency, I may say the wrong thing. I may screw it up a little, but we can be in relationship and I can work through that and I, I'll own it. We'll learn. So I think there's that walking alongside someone, working with executives on DEI strategy. People were really honest and vulnerable. Like it sucks to make a mistake and to say the wrong thing or we didn't learn these things in school or university or grad school mm-hmm. and people genuinely want to do the right thing but they don't know how so mm-hmm. it's thinking about who people are being rather than the 10 things you need to remember each month about what to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think there's like we learn through failure and innovation happens mm-hmm. through failure but around DEI stuff we're so fucking scared to make a mistake In the world of making mistakes, which we do, I feel like one area that hasn't been explored or talked about is how to apologize and how to forgive. And so what happens is it feels like we're still in this chapter of cancel culture. So if you screw up, you're done. And I am wondering if that is true. And I am wondering your thoughts to share on the power of an apology, of a proper, authentic, what is needed in an apology, and what is possible with forgiveness. Ooh, that's good. I don't really believe in cancel culture. Like, I guess maybe I'll ask you, what do you mean by cancel culture? This is not a proper definition. This is a Steph Corker definition. To me, cancel culture eliminates the space for an apology and forgiveness. So I'm wondering if we can remove not I'm not saying remove cancel culture let cancel be cancel I'm saying is there space to screw up and help train communicate 
develop people to apologize and also to forgive and the journey of, I love, I love what you're saying. Like, let us fail, let us innovate and let us do that relationally as well. More than ever. Like that feels like the being of this lifetime. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the people who are most often worried about cancel culture, which again, I'm not sure I really believe in, they have a lot of systemic power. So when I hear an executive saying, I'm scared I'm going to get canceled. And it's like, your board's not going to fire you. Like employees are going to shit talk you in Slack because you made a mistake and you're not willing to own it. So I think there's a vulnerability there. And I know my defenses drop when someone's like, hey, that thing that just happened, I want to apologize for it. Like that wasn't okay because of short reason here, or I want to apologize for short thing you're apologizing for. Um, the I think the key in apologizing there is not to get all up in your own feelings and blah, 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 blah. Like process that with your therapist, coach, best friend, trusted colleague at work. But when you're making an apology, like it's about repairing the relationship with that person and owning the mistakes. So doing that, and then also explaining what you're going to do to do it different in the future mm. and honoring that it might take someone a moment to accept your apology and it might take a few moments for them to forgive you and in some situations you won't be forgiven that's okay like it's okay it sucks but this is relationships and this is stuff but I yeah. think people are so afraid and we're we can't be with those feelings and stuff happened when we grew up and in school where we're scared to say hey I screwed up there mm. And there's a lot of like, we see it in corporate apology statements. They're overly formal. They're not human. They're like buttoned up by legal. And that, that's not an apology. Mm. From Black women, I learned about grace. White, like growing up in a predominantly white culture, I didn't know about the idea of extending someone grace or giving someone grace. Megan Carpenter, who's at Microsoft, wrote this beautiful piece. And she's like, I will give you grace if you give me effort. If you're here to do the work, I'm like, I will have space and give you grace for making mistakes. But when we get those legal, overly like buttoned up, really defensive apologies, which aren't really apologies, if we're, if we're honest, it's hard to give grace there because the other person hasn't owned anything or said what they're going to do different or been vulnerable in any way. So it's messy, like being human is beautifully messy. But yeah, like in Canada, like it feels important to say today, especially like with reconciliation, the government in Canada hasn't said, you know, we we're sorry, like we we did this, we did and continue to do these things. Like they're worried about the legal risk and are closed up and and we, we all can't move forward until the harms have been named and we apologize and commit mm. to doing better and then show up and like write relations with each other mm. sorry that was long and oh, no no but, no 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 don't apologize. it's, mess, no, it's messy and beautiful, beautiful. and like if that's not yeah. what we're yeah. here to do and if that's not the work I don't know what it is yeah no I am like at 1000 goosebumps and truth and I am here for grace if you are here with effort yeah. Like this is so, so powerful and this is what it's all about. And, you know, an apology isn't messy and complicated. It's, it's very succinct to own your shit. Messy and complicated is when you want to be ego, legal, and 
defensive. That's, that's messy. Um, the, the simplest way straight to the heart is I, I recognize I screwed up in this way. And to your point, the next sentence is here's how I will do better. And that's big too, because that will take effort and how beautiful if you can put in that effort and be met with grace. And to your point may or may not happen on the timeline that you wish. And that is also how it goes. And then the other piece after that is you follow up with action. Action. Words are hollow if you don't walk your talk. Beautiful. Like, yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, I could really go on. This feels like I said, 10,000 goosebumps that I need to sit with. And I think that if you're listening to this conversation, there were many jumping off points of questions that you have posed that I think are worthy of consideration. And I'm going to ensure that they're in the show notes. And if you just listen to this and perhaps you go back to show notes to say, what is my relationship with an apology? What is my relationship with grace? And who do I need to forgive? Powerful, powerful, powerful pieces. We must end with my favorite question that I end every podcast with. And that is what is currently making your heart beat faster, my friend. Janelle Monet's video for Lipstick Lover. If you haven't seen it, chef's kiss. Happy summer, happy pride, happy pool party. Oh, yes. yes. (laughs) Thank you for your time, your truth, and your chef's kiss. And you know what makes my heart beat faster? The fact that I get to share with you that this podcast is brought to you in partnership with More Good Media. Our friends over at More Good Media are spreading the good word, one conversation, one podcast at a time. So thanks so much for your support. We are so glad to be here in partnership. Oh, hey, before you go, you know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review. Four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.